Well, I have the privilege this morning of continuing a sermon series that I started last week, and the sermon series is simply called, What About Sex? What About Sex? Now, I want to warn you this morning that this morning's installment, as well as this entire series, is rated PG-13. You probably saw the signs on your way in. Um, basically, we want to talk about the sensitive subject of sex and sexuality from a biblical Christian perspective, but we want to do so in a way that is respectful of your wishes with regard to your time frame as to how, how you would like to talk about these things with your young children. I think that there's a certain age where this is necessary and appropriate, early teenage years where this is appropriate, where you want them to hear this from a Christian godly perspective, but we do respect your wishes to do that on your own uh, terms, so we want to let you know that this sermon, in, and as well as the sermon series, is rated PG-13, so if you'd like to check your children into Children's Church this morning, uh, you can go ahead and do that because I want to have the freedom to get into some things this morning without offending anybody or accelerating a process that you haven't begun yet. So PG-13 for this and the rest of the installments. But our goal in this series is to talk about something that's so important, so significant. We spent about six weeks before last week in a, in a series that we call Relationships. And we'd spend so much time on relationships each year because we believe that our interpersonal relationships are so important. They're so vitally important uh, to the point where if we get our relationships right, we get a lot right in life. If we get those things wrong, we get a lot wrong. And sex is such an important part of our interpersonal relationships, sex and sexuality, that I found it helpful and even necessary to deal with it and to talk about it in the context of Christian living. I find that we're playing defense too much. We're trying to recover from too much of what the culture imposes upon us, and I would just like to play offense every once in a while, to talk about these things in a way that keeps us from making mistakes, keeps us from breaking God's heart, keeps us from ruining our lives in a way that we think is necessary for healthy Christian living. And you might ask, who is this sermon series for? Well, I think it's for everyone. I think it's for everyone. Sex impacts and affects every single person on this earth, from newborn babies to senior citizens, right? It affects every single person, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a parent, or whether you're a child, no matter what your life stage, this whole subject of sex and sexuality is vitally important. Last week, we kicked this series off with a message that we were calling a Christ-centered view of sex. There's a number of different ways that you can view sex and sexuality, and I suggest that last, suggested last week that we develop a Christ-centered or Christ-informed viewpoint uh, of how to view our sex and sexuality. And many of you say, listen, I don't want Jesus anywhere near my sex life. That's just gross, right? I don't want God or Jesus or anywhere near my sex life, and I suggested last week that that's probably our problem, Right? We've decided to have our sex life over here to call our own shots and just have Jesus someplace over there. And you can speak to me about my marriage. You can speak to me maybe about my money. You can speak to me maybe about my friendships. But this whole sex thing that's a little too personal, it's a little too significant, it's a little too, you know, touchy. So Jesus, why don't you stay far away? And some of us have lived our life that way, and that's why we're in the mess that we're in today. That's why we're dealing with the brokenness that we deal with today. And it's for that reason that I want to speak directly to this and talk to you about God's heart related to this. Last week, we talked a lot about sexual immorality, right? You can't talk about a healthy sexual ethic unless you start to talk about what it means in the Christian sense for something to be sexually 
immoral. And I suggested that we all need to develop a sexual ethic that is informed by God's word. And we said the correct method in pursuing a healthy sexual ethic is to actively, not passively, let God, not this culture, shape our sexual ethic and worldview right now and not later. We actively, not passively, let God, not this culture, shape our sexual ethic and worldview right now and not, and not later. And I want to continue that sermon series that I started last week with a message this morning called Sex is good. Sex is good. Now, some of you grin because you just kind of, sex makes us a little silly. We get a little squirmy, right? But I don't mean sex is good in the sense that it feels good and it feels great. And I think that if you're doing it right, it should feel great and wonderful, right? But I mean this concept of sex, the idea that God came up with is a good thing and not a bad thing. It's a good thing and not a bad thing. When I look over the landscape of this culture, when I look at the lawn, if you will, of culture, I see scattered across the lawn of this culture a lot of stolen things, a lot of stolen things, things that God created, things that God gifted us uh, with, humanity that is, gifted us with to help uh, uh, make us productive, to make our lives more enjoyable and fruitful, right? I see all these sorts of things like music, like the arts, all sorts of cultural things. I see all of these things on the landscape and on the lawn of uh, culture, things that have been stolen and are being used and misused for various purposes, and it's absolutely ruining our culture. It's absolutely ruining the people that God put on this earth in God's great creation. I think one of those things that is one of the stolen goods that the enemy has stolen and sort of repurposed is this whole idea of sex and sexuality. He's corrupted it. And as that corruption takes hold, we get all manners of sexual brokenness, all manners of sexual issues. And because of that, it causes us to look at sex as something that's not such a great thing, right? We look at it as something that's really bad, something that's shameful. When the consequences of sexual immorality come to bear in our life and the pain of people sinning against us and us sinning against other people as it relates to sex and sexuality, we begin to see sex as a bad thing and not a good thing. And as such, we can't really enjoy it like we're supposed to enjoy it. We can't really uh, uh, take advantage of it in the way that God designed us to take advantage of it. We don't instruct the next generation in the proper way because we see sex as something as bad. And even though we've heard all the sermons and we've read the Bible, when we know in our mind that sex is good, some of us, we still internalize this notion that sex is something that's deviant. Sex is something that's dirty. Sex is something that you have to whisper about, man. But I'm here to tell you that sex is good, and I want to unpack that idea this morning and give you an understanding, a biblical understanding of how God sees sex and how he created it. I know this is a sensitive subject to work out publicly, so let me pray before I begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you so much, Lord, for how you constantly call us to look at things in light of your word. Look at things in light of your scripture. And Lord, I know that these, these, these difficult subjects are not off limits in your mind. This subject of sex is so significant and so important. We desperately need to get this right. And because we desperately need to get this right, Lord, we appeal to your wisdom this morning. We appeal to your knowledge. We appeal to your mercy and grace for those of us, Lord, who have fallen by the wayside, those of us who've made mistakes in this area. God, I pray that grace would coat these words that would be spoken today. 
I pray, Lord, that we would hear only what you intend to be heard this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would move the preacher out of the way this morning, that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. May your truth and may your light shine through. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're talking this morning about the fact that sex is good. And the truth is there are some things that are really standing in the way of us understanding, and not just understanding in our mind, but internalizing this idea that sex is a good thing. And I think a good question to ask ourselves this morning, and hopefully answer, is also what's the problem? If there are barriers in our understanding uh, that sex is good, that sex is something that God gave us as a gift, what's the problem? What's standing in the way? Well, in my reading this week, I came across uh, something that one author and counselor calls the pickle principle. And I think this is at play as it relates to our sex and sexuality in this culture, the pickle principle. Some of you might have heard of this. And if you know anything about how pickles are made, you know that pickles start out as cucumbers, right? And you basically submerge these cucumbers in this liquid that's made up of vinegar and spices and water. And after those pickles, or after those cucumbers sit in that sort of brine, right, or this juice, after a while, they become, they become pickles, right? They become something other than what they were when they went in. I think that the same is true as it relates to us, human beings, humanity, particularly God's creation, as it relates to sex and sexuality in this culture. We are submerged in a sex-saturated culture. And after long periods of time being exposed to this stuff, long periods of time being saturated, submerged in a sex-saturated culture, particularly an unhealthy one, we become something other than what we were to begin with, and we become something other than what God intended us to be. Friends, the pickle principle is in effect as it relates to sex and sexuality. And what is this deviant culture that we've been submerged into? A uh, culture where TV, movies, music, social media all have a sexual sort of taste to them. Sex everywhere. Used to be you could only get that stuff on the premium channels with all the premium stuff. And now all you have to do is have basic TV and you barely can watch anything these days. You can scarcely go to a movie, no matter what the rating is, and have some sexual element, sexual innuendo. It may go over the heads of kids these days, and frankly, it may not. All sorts of media, all sorts of stuff, landmines everywhere, sex-saturated culture. Not to mention that we have easy access to things like pornography through the internet and other mediums. Sex-saturated culture. Not to mention our relationships with our coworkers, our friends, the people we grew up with, the people that we go to school with, young people, is sex saturated. If you've had the unpleasant pleasure of overhearing a young person's conversation lately, uh, some of us have had the unfortunate opportunity to hear young people who should be talking about baseball cards and bubble gum and video games, to hear their conversation these days is one to make you hit your knees and pray. Overheard several conversations. Couldn't believe young people haven't even hit 10 years old yet. What they're talking about, what they're discussing, what they're sharing amongst themselves, the various social formats, our relationships, and it's no different from adults. All these things, these are the brine, this is the brine that we're soaking in, becoming something other than what God 
designed us to be. Not to mention the experience that many of us have through broken homes. We've seen our parents be unfaithful to one another. We've seen family members go through divorces and, and, and just run, a, run afoul of all of their vows and marriage commitments. We've seen that in our own life. And we are foolish to think that that doesn't affect us and shape us in some unhealthy way. But this is the sex-saturated culture that we live in. And because of our soaking in that, just sort of waiting in that, we're becoming something other than what God intended. We're becoming something other than people who see sex and sexuality as something that God's in charge of, that God has a say about, and yet God desperately wants us to choose well in this regard. And what's the result? The result is overexposure, which leads to desensitization. That's pretty much true in any realm or any sphere. Overexposure leads to desensitization. Now, if you, if you grew up in a, a neighborhood like mine and you see your first person sort of get stomped into the ground or the first person shot or you experience the first sort of gang, uh, you know, bit of gang activity or crime activity, it's shocking. You're afraid. Your heart races, right? Now, imagine if you see that same sort of thing every single day. Even the most horrifying thing, even if it makes you afraid, over time, you will beget, you become desensitized to it. And it's the same is true when we live in a sex-saturated culture. We just become desensitized to it. Things that you used to quick turn the, turn the TV because something scandalous was on. You'd hear language that was shocking to your senses, and you quick turn it off, right? But over time, as we just sort of sit and soak in this brine, those things don't, don't have the same pinch that they used to have. They don't offend our Christian senses in a way that they used to. And as a result of that, we soak deeper and deeper and deeper in a sex-saturated culture. And the fruit and the result of that is more and more and more sexual brokenness. And experiencing all the sort of rotten fruit of sexual brokenness, we begin to see sex as a bad thing, as a naughty thing, as something that's deviant. And we raise our children to fear it and to view it as a bad thing. And that slingshots them into exploring things that they shouldn't explore they're ignorant in ways that they shouldn't be ignorant because things haven't been talked about, things haven't been worked through through the scriptures, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And unfortunately, instead of thinking, instead of our understanding that the misuse of sex is our problem, we begin to see sex as our problem. Instead of understanding that the misuse of this God-given thing is our issue, we start to see sex as our issue and the problems start all over again. But I think that there's something wrong with that worldview. And I feel that it's my responsibility, my duty, to snatch back from the enemy what he's taken from us. And in reclaiming this whole notion of sex and sexuality, I think it's important to understand a few things. The first thing that we need to understand is that sex was and still is God's idea. Sex was and still is God's idea. If you look up who holds the patent on sex, God still's got it. Doesn't matter who shoplifted it. Don't matter who grabbed it and tried to misuse it and distort it and twist it about. God holds the patent because sex was his idea. God had a plan from the very beginning of time for humanity. We're people made in God's image from the very beginning made in his likeness, created to bring him glory. 
created to live out our purpose on life, and that is love, loving God and loving people. We say that every, every week almost. You look in the Scripture, the goal in life is to love God and to love others. That's what we're supposed to do. We were created in God's image, created in his likeness to bring him glory, to worship him, and to relate well and do right by other people. That's why we're here. Forget everything else that you've been told. So everything that God asks you to do and everything he asks you not to do boils down to these two things, love God and love people. We were created on purpose by God from the very beginning. And through God's creative design, he made men and women with complementary bodies, right? That means that he, we were made, it, made for one another, made for one another. And there's no coincidence that men have what they have. No coincidence that women have what they have. It wasn't like, you know, Adam and Eve is just walking about and he just started thinking like, man, I can really, if I put this and that, you know, and move it about a little bit, some really wonderful things happen. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like God was like, you know what? I guess you can use that for that. That was his intentional design from the very beginning. And I'm really just sort of, sometimes I wonder, just, just think about how that first moment went when, that, when they first figured out that God had made them that way. I'm just real curious. I might ask the Lord that when I enter the gates. Lord, just... Was there some missing pages in the Bible? Just how did Adam just figure out that if you do this with that, then wonderful things happen? I'll move along because that's the awful. <laughs> just wanted to be transparent. My point is that God intentionally designed our body parts to work in a certain way. He intentionally designed our hormones and our instincts. He gave us those for the purpose of enjoying and participating in sex. We are, uh, there are physiological responses to certain stimulation that God designed from the very beginning. This is all God's design. And not only is it his design, it was a very good design. A very good design. It works. And it works well. And when I look out throughout the, all the record of Scripture, I, not just on this particular issue, but I find God to be a very purposeful God. In other words, he's just not sort of throwing some stuff on the canvas and just hoping it turns out well. He's not just sort of rolling the dice with humanity and sexuality and, uh, and ethics. He's not just sort of trying to figure things out as he goes along. He's very purposeful with regard to the things that he does and the things that he creates. And it's in knowing that that we realize that God created sex for a specific purpose. God created sex for a very specific purpose. Actually, I think it boils down to two specific purposes that we'll just sort of unpack over the next few minutes. And those two specific purposes, uh, I think, amount to fruitfulness and intimacy. Look at the purpose for sex according to God's design. It boils down to two things, fruitfulness and intimacy. The first is to be fruitful and reproductive. To be fruitful and reproductive. This is like God's ideas of sex, like one-on-one. This is like basic stuff, right? It's interesting because many of you have never heard a comprehensive sermon or comprehensive sort of explanation as to why sex, you know, why God created it. I think that's why we have so many misuses and so much misunderstanding. But God created, one of the main purposes that God created uh, sex and sexuality is to be fruitful and to be reproductive. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Now, there's no deep hidden meaning to that where if you turn it upside down, it means some cryptic thing. It simply means have a lot of babies. Right? Have lots of sex and have lots of babies. That was part of God's reproductive design with humanity is that through humans, humans would beget more humans. That's one of the basic functions of sex, to create new living beings, particularly humans, populate this earth, grow families, cultivate that together. God's plan for sex, really one of the main purposes is reproduction and to be fruitful. Well, you might ask, man, what about, so what does that mean as it relates to homosexuality? I guess two, you know, same-sex couples that can't really reproduce. So what are the implications as it relates to that? To that I say, come back next week. We'll spend the whole week, we'll spend the whole sermon next week talking about homosexuality from a, uh, from a biblical perspective. So you don't want to miss that. But let's stay on track here today about this. Reproduction and fruitfulness. Now, this whole fruitfulness, I don't think, needs to just be quarantined to the sort of physical, sort of me- mechanical reprodu- reproduction of babies. I think this fruitfulness also gets at the emotional, right, and the relational fruitfulness that is produced between man and woman when they enter this union of sexuality. If you're in a, in a situation, if you have the fortunate privilege of being in a situation where you have a, a, a vital sex life that's life-giving to both people, you find that it produces some intangibles that you can't really, you know, you can't really come by by any other means. So I think the fruit that grows on the life of the tree of, of a married couple that have an active, healthy, mutually satisfying sex life is something that goes far beyond having more kids and having more babies. And some of us, many of us here today, are, are living in our married life without that and without that. And it's a, it's a kind of a miserable frustrating existence because there's no fruitfulness coming out of your sexual relationship together. But I'm here to tell you that when we're doing it right, when we're doing it God's way, there's a fruitfulness. There are intangibles that are produced that can come from no other place. So God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be reproductive, not just with more children, but just he wants us to be fruitful and having good fruit being produced in our relationship. The other purpose for sex is intimacy. Intimacy. And when I talk about intimacy, I think closeness. I think of familiarity. I think about knowledge. I think about the, know, the knowing of one another. I think about sort of a private, deep, satisfying connection that a man and woman has together. I think when I think about sex and, and, and intimacy. And I think that that's something that God designed us to have as it relates to sex and sexuality. If ever you look in the old King James uh, version of the Bible and it's talking about sex or the act of sex, you know, it'll say something like, and he went into her and he knew her, right? And, he, and she knew him, basically speaking of this whole notion of this intimate bond that people share together as it relates to this whole idea of sex, sexuality, particularly as it relates to intimacy. And I think this whole notion that God wants man and woman to come together and to be one. We talk a lot about when men and women come together in the context of marriage, that God no longer sees them as two people. He sees them as one, or as the scripture puts it, one flesh. 
That doesn't mean that when God looks down, he, he's, his vision is blurred and he can no longer see two individual human beings. Is that he considers you one with the person that you sleep with because that is such an intimate knowing uh, activity, right? Which is why it's so dangerous to just give yourself to any and everybody because you're joining yourself, you're joining your flesh, you're joining your heart and your soul, you're giving parts of yourself to people that God never intended you to give parts of yourself to. But this whole notion of one flesh is at play here as it relates to intimacy. Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 6 through 9, so, but God made them male and female from the beginning. This is Jesus talking, beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, and the two became one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And we read this passage a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the very difficult and heartbreaking uh, subject of divorce. Some of you have experienced that, right? Divorce, and you know, some of you have described it as the tearing apart, being, you feel like you've been torn in half. Those were the actual words of multiple people who have gone through divorce, the tearing in half. It's not like a clean breakup. Okay, you get your stuff, and I'll get mine, and maybe we'll write each other here and there. It's a, it's a tearing apart of flesh. Why? Because you've, you've become one flesh now. The two have become one now. So God sees us as one flesh, and this whole act of sex is the, jo excuse me, the joining together of two people, and souls are wrapped around each other now. Our hearts are wrapped around each other now. And because of that, there's a bond that can scarcely be broken. can scarcely be broken. And this is why when you, you know, when you sleep with people who you're not married to or you're just sort of reckless with your sex and sexuality, that you become attached to people in ways. You become connected to people in ways that are harmful to you when you actually choose to settle down with the person that you're actually going to marry. You've drugged all those people into your relationship, all those memories, all those emotional ties, and those things are very, very difficult to break. And when God says, save yourself for the person that I've called you to marry, and he says, save yourself for the person I've called you to spend the rest of your life with, he's not just sort of walking you past the candy store and telling you that you can't have any because he wants to just kind of be mean. He knows how this will end up if we just sort of give ourselves recklessly to any and everyone that will have us. He knows that sex between two people is an intimate act, and it's more than physical. It's deeply emotional. It's deeply spiritual. And to fail to steward sex and sexuality puts us in a world of hurt. Now, it's all redeemable. God can redeem it, but many of us will never, ever be the same as a result of just really being poor stewards of who we choose to be intimate with. We choose to join our bodies, join our flesh with. So God made sex for the purpose of reproduction and fruitfulness. He made it also for the purpose of being intimate, knowing, being familiar, being private and intimate physically with somebody else. It just so happened that God also made sex to be very, very pleasurable. Very, very pleasurable. And I think that's what gets many of us in a world of trouble. In a world of trouble. You know, I was... Um, fortunate to, to, to get to my wedding night and, and still be a virgin by God's grace and his mercy. And sometimes I look back on certain situations and I go, there's no way I made it out of that situation uh, without completely blowing things up. But God in his mercy allowed me to do that. 
And throughout high school, my, you know, I was just a very public Christian in my high school, and lots and lots of guys would almost like, you know, when, when they saw me after high school, one of the first things that they would ask me after we caught up a little bit, they would just ask me if I was still a virgin. Gene, are you still waiting, they would say. Well, they would probably say it in a, in a cruder way, but that's basically what they were asking, right? And, and lately, I've, through Facebook, I've gotten a chance to talk with some guys, and basically, when they ask me, and I, I usually come around to saying, man, listen, I'm glad that I didn't start this sooner. I understand what it means now to ask somebody who's been actively involved sexually to stop because God says so, because it's very pleasurable. It's one of the best experiences of my life. When I finally got an opportunity to do that, I thought, man, this is, this is fantastic, right? This is wonderful, and I'm glad I didn't start this early. Glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't. Why? Because God made sex to be extremely pleasurable, particularly if you're doing it right. Made it extremely pleasurable. And because he made it extremely pleasurable, somehow that kind of steals the show for, for many of us. And much of our brokenness, our brokenness is related to just zeroing in on the pleasure, zeroing in on this culture and how it tells us that nobody should be able to deny you that pleasure. You should be able to do that whenever and with whomever you want, so long as the two people consensually agree. And as I said last week, that's a very, very low bar to approach something that's so important, something so significant, that's a very low bar to approach this with. But our culture, unfortunately, has taken the pleasure that God has built into this whole thing and put it at center stage. And that's where they all start. That's where they all begin. And anything that compromises our right to pleasure, anything that compromises our right to have access to this whenever and with whomever we like, man, we fight against it. Especially God's word. Especially God's word. And considering what God's plan and his purpose was when he created sex and when he gifted it to us, particularly to be fruitful and to multiply and be reproductive and to create a measure of intimacy between a man and a woman, we realize that things go really wrong when sex is misused. Things go really wrong when sex is misused and it begins to really complicate our understanding and our appreciation for this gift that God has given us. Make no mistakes, friends. Sex is one of the most powerful things in our world. It's one of the most powerful things in our world. The sex will make you come at home at night, right? Sex will take somebody who has all sorts of money, all sorts of influence, all sorts of power, and it'll make them completely throw it away because sex is powerful. Sex will take somebody who usually operates with sober mind and judgment, take a man or a woman that loves their spouse, love their family, a person with a lot to lose. Sex is so powerful that they will cause that person to throw that all away for one night of perhaps even mediocre sexual interaction. You don't think that's powerful? I do. Sex is powerful. And it's designed to be powerful because something that's designed to not only bring two bodies together but two souls together and two seats of emotion together, God had to pack a punch when he put that together. 
But God also cautions us, and as he cautions us, God builds a fence around the powerful and important things, particularly things like sex and sexuality. Now, power plants are good. You don't think power plants are important? Let's knock knock a couple of them down and watch these lights go out. And watch your homes not get heating and air conditioning, all the things that we enjoy. Power plants are good. But I would suggest to you that you just don't want anybody just walking in there just touching stuff and turning knobs and, you know, screwing things around. You, you, don't, you don't want anybody doing that because that's power. It's dangerous, right? So have you seen any power plant or any, even the mobile facilities, have you seen any of those without fences around them? Without high fences with maybe some barbed wire around them? Why? Because we're trying to keep folks out of there that don't deserve to be in there because it could kill you. It could ruin you. And in the same way, God builds a high, high fence around sex. And that high, high fence that everybody's trying to go, jump over, everybody's trying to scale, everybody's trying to get the cutters and cut through the fence, that high fence that God puts around sex and sexuality is marriage. Not because he doesn't want you to have fun, and not that he doesn't want you to enjoy the, the pleasure of sexuality and the oneness that it brings, It's just that this stuff will kill you if you're not supposed to partake in it. It'll kill you in the wrong context. It'll kill you with the wrong dosage. And because of that, he builds a high fence around sex, and that fence is marriage. One man, one woman. One man and one woman. And when I look at Scripture, what I find, and if you find something different, you come talk to me because I'd love to hear it, that all sex and all lust outside of heterosexual marriage, my Bible tells me, maybe you have a different one, my Bible tells me is sin. It's categorically sexually immoral. All sex and lust outside of marriage is sin. It's sexual immorality. I didn't write this stuff. I'm just reading it to you. But I happen to believe it. I've happened to live by it. And when I've chosen not to, It's cost me a great deal. And in some ways, I still pay the penalty of this sort of sexual deviance, sexual immorality. It's God's fence that he puts around sex. And when you try to jump that fence, you always have disastrous results. And it just seems like sexually immoral, sins that, you know, the the, the fallout and the penalty of sexual-based sins just seem to be a little more costly than other types of sins. And Paul gives us a window to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, run from sexual sin. He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. It's like everything else you do affects the world around you and people around you. But there's something about breaking God's laws as it, re- as it relates to sexual immorality. There's something about hopping the fence or cutting through the fence or trying to squeeze through the gate that really impacts people in a really, really negative way. I mean, when you look at all the ways that a person can be sexually broken, when you look at all the ways that you can offend yourself and someone else as a result of this whole, you know, idea of jumping over God's fence or ignoring the boundary marks of sex, man, a lot of really bad stuff happens. You know, my, in my adult life, I've encountered lots of people who are just the product of, you know, sexual abuse. And you hear their stories. 
And you see what it does to their emotional state, and you see what it does to their self-esteem. You see what it even does uh, as it relates to how they relate to God, and they sort of just think, Lord, I was so young. Why didn't you protect me? I'm just, I have family members that are right now living the, just the hellish life because somebody at some point took advantage of them sexually. It seems like it's just a different strand of brokenness, different type of evil that really wrecks havoc in a person's life. And even if the sexual brokenness came as a result of your poor decisions and your consensual decisions, there seem to be some consequences associated with sexual brokenness that don't go away real easy. Seems to be all sorts of issues and all sorts of things and all manners of brokenness that come along with that. And Paul says, listen, run from sexual immorality because it does a number on you in a way that's hard to recover from. Hard to recover from. And once you give that stuff away, it's hard to get it back. And yes, God is green and that he recycles and he reuses and he redeems. But listen, man, I would, I would rather many of our young people have the testimony that God kept them rather than God rescued them. I want my kids to say, you know what, God kept me from that and that and that and that. And far too many of us have the testimony that God rescued me. You know, he had to swoop in with the SWAT team and the holy, holy host of angels to rescue us from bad decisions and rescue us from all sorts of stuff. I would be that God would just keep our young people from making all of these decisions. That they would have a deep and abiding understanding of why God says no and why God says stop. And why God builds a fence around those things that could take our, take our hearts and our life uh, and corrupt us in ways. I would that they understand that. And that's really one of the main reasons why we talk about these things in a way that we talk about them. To give you an understanding of why God says no. And why God says this is the line, don't cross it. Or why God says this is the fence, only those who choose to live within these boundary marks can partake. This is why God says that. This is why God says that. Things go terribly wrong when we choose to do things God's way. So we've understood that sex is good. We've seen that God's intentional about it. We've also talked briefly about how things can go terribly wrong. I think the question that we might have this morning is how do we walk this out? How do we put this all together? How do we apply this in a way that we can start right now to think differently and to live differently as it relates to sex and sexuality? And I think that the the answer to that question is really quite simple. It's quite simple. We walk this out by committing to doing life on God's turf and on his terms. We walk this out by committing to do life on God's turf and on his terms. Now, this is a rather general principle that, relies, that, that, that pretty much distributes itself to every aspect of life. Relationships, sex, money, our business and vocation, how we raise our kids, all of this, all of this, this applies to all of that. But it especially applies to this particular subject, that we would desire to do life on God's turf and on his terms. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by entrusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is Paul saying here? Listen, I'm not my own anymore. And for those of us who have resolved to follow Christ and to give our hearts to him, we have to realize that we're just not our own anymore, that our bodies are not our own anymore. 
And can I tell you that as a pastor that deals with lots and lots of people, even people outside of this congregation, that for us to be willing to give our bodies to God, for us to be willing to let God have a say over what we do with our body, particularly sex and sexuality, is, that's usually one of the final dams that break en route to giving your whole heart to Jesus. I've discovered that if a person can let God tell them what to do with their money and with their body, they're well on their way to following Jesus for the rest of their life. In fact, it's one of the things that I look for. When I'm talking to a person, when I'm trying to, you know, sense where they are spiritually and where they are in a relationship with God, I try to figure out if God has some say over what they do with their money, if God has control over their finances. And then I try to figure out if God has control over sex and sexuality in their life. And usually what's the case is when I find that those two areas are not surrendered to the Lord, I usually determine that that person generally has a long way to go. But for those of us who realize that we belong to Christ, that we were made for him and by him, we realize that our bodies, our lives, our stuff, our resources, especially the most important aspects, are no longer our own. No longer our own. And we commit to doing life on God's turf and on God's terms. You might ask, what is God's turf? Well, God's turf, particularly as it relates to sex, is marriage. Those are the grounds. And the Bible says that if you choose to interact sexually outside of those confines of marriage, outside of the turf, God's turf, you will pay the price. Things will go south in a hurry. There will be consequences. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, God's turf is marriage as it relates to sex. And for those of us who want to get this right and want to redirect some things and re redirect some ways in our life, we understand that God's turf as it relates to sex is marriage. But we also have to do life, particularly life sexually, on, on God's terms. On God's terms. You say, what are God's terms? We have to realize that sex is for fruitfulness and intimacy with the husband or wife that God gives you. Those are God's terms for sex and sexuality. That sex, within the confines of marriage, sex is for fruitfulness and for intimacy with the husband or wife that God gives you or will give you. And this is a really good test for all of us wondering if the stuff that we're up to or the stuff that we're thinking about or the stuff that we're, you know, uh, looking to get off into, is this, is this helpful? Is this healthy? I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about sexuality, what you wear, how you present yourself, how you conduct yourself on social media, who you give yourself with physically, who you flirt with. All these sorts of things are in play here. We're talking about sexuality, not just the act of sex. And a good question to ask ourselves is, is what I'm about to do right now, is the thing that I'm wrestling with, is the, the choice that I'm about to make, is it going to help produce fruitfulness and intimacy with the husband or wife that I have now or the husband or wife that God will eventually give me? I'll say that again because that's important. Every decision as it relates to this, needs to be filtered through this test. Is what I'm about to do, is what I'm thinking, is what I'm about to get mixed up with, or who I'm about to get mixed up with, is this going to produce a measure of fruitfulness 
an intimacy with the husband or the wife that God has given me, or for those of you who are single and expecting to be married, or for the husband or wife that God will eventually give me. That's a test. And listen, that will shut a whole lot of stuff down. It'll shut it down. It'll shut it down. But we got to be willing to ask those difficult questions. And that is what it means, friends, to commit to doing life with God on his turf and on his terms. Friends, sex is a good thing. Worship team, you can come up. It's a good thing. I think we've been called by God to to snatch this back from the enemy. I think some of you are here today and you're dealing with the the, the, the consequences of uh, poor decisions as it relates to sex and sexuality. If you're honest, you would say that you're dealing with a broken sexual worldview that you realize is broken and you realize is corrupt, but you don't quite know how to fix it. Some of you are here and you have young children and they're getting to that age where they're getting curious and they have questions and you have no idea how to, how to present this to them in a way that's comprehensive, how, 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 and present it to them in a way that will be helpful for them because it just wasn't shown to you in that way. And you really need God's help and you, re, you really need God's wisdom. But my prayer for us today, especially as we worship, is that God would just cement in our hearts this understanding that sex is a good thing. No matter what your history, no matter what your background, no matter what brokenness you're experiencing, that God wants to redeem that and he wants to make you new. And I think that there are folks here today that haven't gotten off into sexual brokenness. You haven't ventured into those waters yet, but you're starting to feel the tug of it. You're starting to feel the tug of it. And my prayer is that God would keep you and they would do something in your heart today that would set you up for successful future as it relates to sex and sexuality in your life. I want God to do that work here as as we move on with our service. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, for the revelation that sex is good, it's helpful, it's meaningful, it's life-given when we choose to do it on your terms and on your turf. Lord, I pray that you would just begin to redeem what the enemy has stolen, not just from us in a corporate sense as it relates to sex and sexuality, but individually, Lord, there are things that the enemy has stolen from us. There are ways that there are married folks who don't enjoy sex and don't engage in sex regularly in a life-giving way because of past issues and past brokenness and all sorts of baggage that have been you know, brought into the relationship, Lord. And I just pray that you would break the power of that today. Break the power of that today. By your spirit, would you break that today? God, I pray that freedom would rest in this place, that freedom would rest on the hearts and on the minds of each and every person here, no matter what their place and station in life is, Lord, no matter how they're dealing with this particular issue, God, I pray that you would speak to them and like medicine, Lord, would you go to the place that's hurting? Would you go to the place that needs healing? And God, would you begin to restore things today? today. Today. And as we worship, Lord, would you just continue to till the soil of our heart and finish what you started here today. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.